Well, good morning, everybody. Take a look at the screen. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. It's because of the cross that we are changed. So we thank God for the change through Jesus. Let's sing. Let's have some fun this morning. There's joy in this place this morning. Great things have already happened. God, we expect more great things to happen in this service. Let's sing, everybody.
Oh
So yes. we've been sharing a lot of cool God stories. Yes, yes. Do you want to hear another one? Of course. I have a really cool one today. Let's hear it. So here is praise from one of our members. She said, last Sunday, I put on my card that we would receive a check we had been waiting, for, waiting on for a while. The Tuesday after I put that on my prayer card, my van broke down. We barely made it home, wondering how we were going to pay for the repairs. When we got home, the check was sitting in our mailbox. Not only that, it was 50% more than what we were expecting. Wow. <laughs> and the repair ended up being a lot less than they thought. And this is the best part of the story. This is her, in her words, before we ever knew there was a problem, God had clearly already provided. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So praise God. Amen, amen. You know, God is always providing for us because he loves his children. Amen? That's right. Well, we have a great Sunday plan for you guys. Today, you can follow along in your worship guide that you received in when you, uh, when you walked in. We're starting a new series today in the book of 1 Kings. It's going to be great. And there's some events in here, too. Yep. Like, uh, we've got D-Now coming up. Uh, it's going to be April, April 19th and the 20th. So, parents, if you want to uh, check that out, get some info on that, maybe register, go to gccob.com slash events. Another great event to look forward to in April is a mother-daughter tea party. So, find information online and in the worship guide for that. Also... On the back of the worship guide, if you are new here, this is a great way to learn about GCC, what the next steps could be, um, and we'd love for you to check out that information. Of course, of course. So guys, we know uh, that it's always it's not always easy to visit places you don't know a lot of people, nope. and so if you're a guest here, uh, we want you to know that you're welcome here. We want to make you feel comfortable, uh, and so we also don't want you to leave empty-handed. 
So on your way out, make sure you swing by the um, You Belong Here kiosk. Uh, we've got a gift just for you. You're going to love it. Also, the prayer card is a huge deal at Great Commission Church. We love to pray for you. Um, please fill that out, um, any prayer requests you have or praise that you have. And if you have an answered God story, let us know about that as well. You can let us know about that on our website as well. And you can place those in the wooden boxes on your way out. Amen. Well, GCC, we've got a treat for you guys. Uh, we have a special guest from Life Choices. Uh, her name is Rachel Davis, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, help me welcome Rachel Davis to the, the stage. Amen. Good morning. I am so glad to be here. Um, uh, what they were talking about just a few minutes ago about um, just being welcomed and uh, being comfortable here at this uh, church. I have several friends here, and so um, just always, always really glad to, to be here and to bring you guys a little bit of a uh, ministry update. Um, but first, I want to talk about how, uh, how and what we do for anyone who is new uh, to GCC. Maybe you don't know exactly who we are. So um, Life Choices of Memphis is first and foremost a ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, that is of utmost importance to us. Um, we, we know that, that we're supposed to be doing the work in this space. And so um, we, we think that, um, side note, if, uh, if you have a bestie who was in the first service, you might want to get with them because who knows, I might say something completely different um, this second go around. So, um, but anyways, we um, are operating in um, the Memphis area but love coming down to Mississippi to talk to our church partners because so many of our clients come from your neck of the woods. And so uh, that, that's exciting for us. We know that, that ministry doesn't stop uh, once the city limit is, is reached, right? We, we see clients from everywhere. So what do we offer our clients? Um, pregnancy testing, ultrasound services, STI uh, treatment and testing, uh, STI testing and treatment in-house, we offer um, in-house post-abortion ministry for anyone struggling with the pain of abortion in their past. We are also a licensed adoption agency in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi. Um, and I want to pause here for just a second because if you are, um, if you're a couple that's been, uh, if, if adoption has been on your heart, I would like to encourage you um, to, to lean into that and see what God has for you in that space because at Life Choices of Memphis, um, adoption is, uh, we're in a boom, right? A baby boom. And so that's, that's amazing for us. We are excited for that. We have been, um, we have a, a season right now where uh, we are historically lower than we've ever been on adoptive families because we are placing babies in homes so quickly. Now I will say that, yes, that's amazing. I will say that 90, about 98% of the clients who walk into our doors end up parenting. They end up choosing life for their babies. And that's an amazing thing. Um, our, our women who are making adoption plans with us find us uh, lots of different ways. They are, do a Google search, they find us. Maybe they haven't gotten any prenatal care and they show up to a hospital to give birth. Um, the hospitals have our name on a list and they give the list to that mother and our birth mother counselor if, if we're chosen then that birth mother counselor that we have on staff will go to that hospital any, any hour, any day of the week. 
um, and, and sit beside her and walk her through what adoption looks like. Now, first and foremost, she's going to share Jesus Christ with that woman um, because she is probably experiencing a lot of hurt and she's confused. And we know um, that, that Jesus has the potential to, to help us see cl things clear, right? And so uh, knee to knee, we want to be with her and walk with her through this journey. So we're going to share the love of Jesus Christ with her. And then if she wants to make an adoption plan, um, we're going to do that, and we're committed to the biblical model of the family. Um, we, we are, there are some things that we just won't compromise on, and, and so we, we're married, Christian, um, testimony, certified, justified, sanctified families, right? Um, we want children to grow up um, in houses that hear about Jesus, and so um, we're thankful for that. Um, but I want to take a minute and, and shift. Uh, one of our newer services that we've offered recently is the fatherhood program. And we, we know that fatherlessness is epidemic in, in our nation, in our cities, um, in our states. We need strong men to speak into the fathers of these women who are coming to us for help. Because you guys, when, when the man in, involved in that equation, when he says, hey, we're going to do this, we're going we're gonna to have this baby, abortion is not an option, she is at a far less risk to choose abortion when the father of that baby is committed to, to, to supporting her. Um, and so we need fathers who can speak into other fathers. Um, I said in the last service, I've been married for almost 18 years, so I can go to a man who comes in the lobby, and I can probably give you a laundry, him a laundry list of all the things he needs to do to prepare for this baby, right? You got a job, you got a house, who are your friends, what are you doing? You know, um, but that's probably not how Jesus wants me to do that. And so I think that men minister to men um, best. So if you, are, if you are a man who has a heart for evangelism, come and spend a couple hours at the clinic. I can't, I can't guarantee you that a man is going to walk in the door, but when he does, that divine appointment will, between you and him and the Lord will take place, and you never know what happens in divine appointments. Um, another thing that we're really excited about, a new service, um, if you grabbed one of these cards when you came in, it's abortion pill reversal. Um, some of, you might not even know what that is, but quickly I'll tell you that the abortion pill uh, that ends the lives of babies in the womb, um, the first pill is taken. If she can get to us within 72 hours of taking that pill before taking the second one, we have a 65% chance of saving the life of the child in the womb, 65% chance, um, if our nurses and, and nurse practitioner can get to her in time. And so that's an amazing thing. We've always been a part of the national network of abortion pill re uh, reversal, but with 54% of abortions last year done via the abortion pill, we wanted to bring this in-house so it was quicker, easier for women to access us, to get to us. Um, and so people say, well, how, how do you do this? How, how does it work? Well, um, it, it costs the ministry $107 to, take, to have the chance to save the life of these babies in the womb. $107. Y'all, I have three kids. And if someone said, it just takes $107 to, to potentially save the life of your child, I can't tell you how many checks I would, I would run out of checks before I would stop. So um, all of our services are free to our clients. So when I, when I throw out that number, that's not for them. Um, that's me quantifying what money can do inside the ministry walls um, because it is free for our clients. Um, if you have this, you'll notice that there are some ultrasounds on the front. These are our abortion pill reversal babies that are currently still alive, hitting their fetal milestone develop, their 
fetal development milestones with healthy mothers. And so what we have now is ultrasound pictures, but in the late spring and early summer, um, I hope to be sending out actual pictures of children outside of the womb um, because those will be these babies and they will, they will be saved from, from death. They were slated for death and the abortion pill reversal redeems them. And so um, I'm excited for that. That is something that we um, are just, uh, we have seven that have come to the clinic and we have five right now that are still carrying healthy, uh, healthy babies inside their wombs and they are so thankful for this opportunity. Um, and so when I talk numbers quickly, I wanna just let you guys know that in Tennessee, um, the governor has allotted $20 million into the Tennessee budget for pregnancy centers. Life Choices of Memphis will be the only pregnancy center in the state of Tennessee not accepting government funding. Now, why is that? You would think that that's great, and that is great. We, we think that if our sister centers wanna participate, we still will unite in, in life-saving work with them, but for us, we just have too much to risk. Um, our adoption department would be at risk. Um, we would have to open up uh, the adoption uh, department to um, homosexual couples and, and, and other people that we just don't feel like fit the biblical model for an adoptive family. So we're remaining committed to the biblical model and saying no to this government funding, and we're really just we're doing that because we know that God will provide. He will provide lavishly. He will provide abundantly more um, through those who, who truly love us and want to partner with us in this work. So uh, we're, again, we're just, we're trusting the Lord for all of these good things and, and know that doing this work in his name, right, is important. We cannot be a center who does work in the name of Jesus Christ but, ex uh, but expects Uncle Sam to pick up the tab. That is just not something that, that faith proves, right? We want to be supported and loved by people who love and support us, not money stolen from taxpayer donations that don't want to support us. So we're thankful for our churches. We're thankful for you guys. Um, if you have any questions, please um, see me out in the booth. I would be happy to explain any of those things. But the, the work is being done, you guys. We had over 100 women come to faith in Christ in our centers last year. So that is exciting news. Thank you so much uh, for letting me be here, and um, to God be all the glory. Wow. I remember the first Life Choices banquet I attended, I was overwhelmed with the videos and the photos and the testimonies and meeting the moms that had children uh, rescued from the womb of, of death. And I remember looking at the screens, they were having that banquet at Bellevue, and on the screens was a list of all the churches that were supporters of the Ministry of Life Choices of Memphis. And, and I remember our church wasn't on the list. And I said, by, the, by God's grace and, and by the favor of our church, the next time we come here, our, the name of our church will be on there as a supporter. And that was a long time ago. And so we, we, are, we believe that God's the author of life. And if he's the author of life, then God is pro-life. And so we are unapologetically and unashamedly a pro-life church. We also are a church that has deep compassion for women who have had abortions in their past and your conscience is condemning you and you feel terrible about that and you, you don't know where to turn, you feel guilty and we want you to know there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ and there is grace for you and he can, he can wash all that away and make you new. So today is Global Offering Sunday, first Sunday of the month 
And our offering emphasis is Life, Cho- Life Choices of Memphis because they are part of our missionary work. When we, when, we, so when we write checks every month to our missions organizations, Life Choices of Memphis gets one. They get supported by us. And, you know, by God's grace, I wish we could give them $50 million a year, right? And so, um, but, but, but I want you to keep that in mind that when you give an offering to our church, a part of that goes to rescue babies and mothers with the gospel and with, and with, uh, and with life. And so it's fantastic. So what is Global Offering Sunday? We love this ceremony. We've been doing it for a few months. All the feedback has been good. It's a great time of ministry in our church. This is when we consecrate for the whole month all that we're going to give to the Lord. And we we give more than money to the Lord. This month, you're going to give a portion of your time to God. You're going to be here on Sundays. You're going to be at a small group. You're going to come to our ministries. You're going to to minister to, uh, to the Lord out in the marketplace, and it's going to cost you some time. And so when you come for prayer today, uh, you're, you're, you're committing the time that you're investing in the ministry this month. You're also committing to the Lord and, and, and re-upping with him how he made you and shaped you and has given you gifts and talents and abilities that, that can actually be used for the kingdom of God. And so you're saying, God, use me in those ways this month. And of course, our treasure, the we believe that the Bible. T- we believe that when the Bible says that it's God who gives us the ability to get wealth, that that's true. And so, when we even have nickels and dimes and, and quarters and and and, and hundred dollar bills and checks and and credit cards and ways that we can give to God financially, that He's the one that even made it possible to do that. And so, it's also our time to say, God, every dollar that we've set aside for You, make us more generous and send it around the world, maximize it, make it go as far as it can for the glory of Jesus. This is also an opportunity for our members to encourage each other as we rise from our seats and go to these collection areas. And it's a testimony. We're saying, hey, you can count on me. I'm in this with you, and I'm bought in here. And I'm glad to support the ministry of Great Commission Church with you. It also provides a tangible offering experience because, the check this out, the overwhelming majority of the financial support that our church receives is not in an envelope. It's not in a check and it's not in cash. It's invisible. It's digital. Uh, and so because of that, we, we, we lost our ability to bring something to the Lord that you can see. And so, so we bring these envelopes and say, these represent my invisible gifts, my automated gifts, my, my digital gifts that, that, I, that I use to serve the Lord with. My favorite thing about Global Offering Sunday is that it reinforces to our children when they see you and they get up with you and they get prayed with you. It reinforces to our children that they belong to a family that demonstrates faith by generosity. They look at their moms and dads and they say, apparently the local church is worth giving to because mom and dad do it. And look at all the people in our church who do this. It's Global Offering Sunday because we're asking the Lord to maximize our resources to, get, to make disciples and start churches all over the world. When the sun rose on this morning, Great Commission Church was funding church plants and pastors and their families and the resources they need on about five different continents. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're, if you're going to give today by check or cash, put it all in one envelope and bring it forward and, and be prayed over for that. If you are giving online this month, like so many of us, bring an empty envelope, put that envelope in the receptacle as, as tangible evidence of what you're giving to the Lord. When you come forward, receive a prayer of blessing from one of our spiritual leaders. They're going to pray for you by families. It's amazing. Then, please return to your seat. Usually when we do the Lord's Supper and we, t- we return to our seats, it's kind of chatty. 
I, I want this ceremony to be a little different. And so return to your seat, pray and meditate. Not a time to chat as we're giving to the Lord and people are being prayed for. And we'll be able to lift our voices to God when the ceremony ends. And so pray and meditate. And look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a prayer for us right now. When, when I do that, all of our men are going to get in place. And when I say amen, I'm just going to have everybody stand. You get to go to either one of the corners of this room and get in line. If you're at the end of a long line and you look up and one of the other lines is shorter, go get another other line. Let's just be efficient and make it go a little bit faster. Let's bow for prayer today. Father, it's, it's, I'm so excited about this, God. This just blows my mind. I can't believe we get to fund the gospel. I can't believe we get to consecrate all of our, all of our resources to you that we're gonna do this month. And so God, bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand on your feet.
Well, let's stand and sing some more this morning.
breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Most gracious Heavenly Father, your goodness it just brings us such joy this morning but no more joy, Lord, than the cross itself. God, we thank you so much for that today. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so i'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last i lay down i will clean God, we are so grateful for the cross. Lord, because of the cross, we are changed. We have joy, and we can know your goodness for us all of our days. So we are so thankful, and we worship our King this morning because of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You all can be seated. Old Testament signed 1st Kings. If you wonder where that is, it's before 2nd Kings. 1st Kings. We begin a new series today for four weeks, but before that, I have a prophetic ministry update from last Sunday's Prophetic Ministry Sunday. Just a taste of kind of a summary of a couple of the words that were given in one of the services. Uh, Jenny Trent shared a Bible verse that kept just coming up into her mind out of nowhere for weeks. It was Psalm 51:12, where David prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation, Lord. And she delivered that word, and four different people came to her prayer line after the service saying, hey, I have lost the joy of God's salvation. Would you pray for me? And then Blair, our, the guy that just led us in praise and worship, shared a dream, a prophetic dream that he had been having uh, about a man sitting against the wall and uh, with a cell phone in his hand and kind of faceless and I think he throws the phone against the wall and, and Blair shared that this dream uh, was the idea that a person's cell phone was destroying his life and his family and his relationships and four different people made their way forward to Blair's prayer line and the Holy Spirit moved on a couple of them and just absolutely wrecked them uh, emotionally saying, hey, that was God screaming to me that I've got to change because I'm, I can't put my phone down and I'm putting my family down and picking up my phone. And, and so just these practical words that the Lord is speaking to 
believers in our church for the benefit of others, it just shows the practical nature of the gift of prophecy in the church. And it's just bringing God right down in the chair next to many of you. And so we rejoice in the Lord over all of these stories. Every word hit last week, dozens and dozens of people being prayed for as if God were reading their mail. And so we, we honor the Lord that the saints of God are doing the work of the ministry here, yes? Elijah, a man just like us, is our new series. I can't wait to preach this to you. In fact, I've already done all four of the sermons. I've got them, I've got them all written and typed out. I've got three more to edit, but they are on my desk in, in my office. And I have more. That, you can't do Elijah too much justice in four weeks. But hey, we've got, we've got from now until Jesus returns or until we die to learn the Bible. So I'm not going to get in a hurry. I'm going to give you four of these uh, messages on Elijah in the next four Sundays. Uh, in his book, Abraham Herschel wrote, to be a prophet is both a distinction and an affliction. In, in other words, it's an honor to be one of God's prophets, but it also hurts to be one of God's prophets. And Elijah, the, in the Old Testament, was no exception to this rule. Let me summarize, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, some things about him. Elijah, this man from the desert, seemed to be at times both Fearless and invincible on the one hand, but cowardly and weak on the other. And Elijah is unique. The Bible says he could run faster than a horse-driven chariot in one of the Bible stories. He's one of the, he is one of only two people in Scripture who did not taste death before they were taken to heaven. The other was Enoch. Other than Jesus, Elijah is the only one that the Bible says who will return to earth before the day of the Lord. Only Elijah and Moses have seen the backside of God as he passed by and lived to tell about it. And if that's not strange enough, Elijah is the only one in the Bible with an anointing strong enough to call fire down from heaven. And yet... Elijah was a man just like us. He was very human. When you read in 1 Kings about Elijah's life, he showed unbalanced emotions. He was up and down. He had moments of doubt followed by moments of great delight, just like you and me. Elijah was also a walking contradiction. He was a walking contradiction of foresight and blindness. He was a walking contradiction of faith, and fear. He was a walking contradiction of power and weakness. Just up and down. <laughs> Let me give you an example of the power and the weakness and the faith and the fear. One day he killed 850 false prophets. And not too long after that, he ran away afraid of one woman. Elijah dared to instruct a dying poor widow to feed him before she fed her son and herself their last meal. He had no problem doing that. And then years later, when that same widow's son died, he raised that son from the dead. In one famous moment of self-pity, Elijah complained that he was the only faithful believer left in all of Israel. And God immediately had to burst his bubble and say, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal. 
This guy murmured about being hungry, and I kind of feel that way now. You guys are hoping this is a short sermon, right? I'm, I'm hungry today. He murmured about being hungry, and yet somehow Elijah helped himself to this ancient door dash where, it, where ravens brought him food and, drink in the, food and meat in the morning and, food and me, bread and meat in the evening. Quite simply, Elijah was a prophet's prophet. In fact, he stands next to Moses, and Moses was the greatest Old Testament prophet. If you, if you will recall, it was Moses and Elijah who showed up to the small group meeting, the small group retreat on the Mount of Transfiguration alongside the Lord Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And at that meeting, Moses re represented the law of God, and Elijah represented the prophets of God. Matthew 17, 3. You couldn't turn in your Bible to the book of Elijah because he was not a writing prophet. But he didn't write scripture like other prophets, like Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And yet his ministry and his impact are unforgettable. <laughs> Elijah was remembered in different periods of your Bible. Did you know that the last two verses of the last book of the Old Testament Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, before the 400 years of silence from God. Those two verses mention Elijah. Not only that, the angel Gabriel declared that John the Baptist would go forth as the forerunner of Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah, Luke 1, 17. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cried out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama, sabachthani. You remember that the bystander said, is he calling for Elijah? Mark chapter 15, verses 34 and 35. Elijah's all over your Bible. So what was the heart of his ministry? What was the crux? What made him who he was? I'll put it to you on the screen. The heart of Elijah's ministry was he was simply a human being who dared to believe that God would use him. Today, I'm only going to preach to you one verse of Scripture. And in that verse of Scripture, I want to ask this question. Why did Elijah appear when he did? Well, the times in which Elijah ministered were some of Israel's most sinful days. And I think, by and large, they were being governed by the worst king Israel ever had. His name was King Ahab. We read about him in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Ahab standing on the top of the bad guy list. Verse 31, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Jeroboam was the first wicked king that Israel had. Ahab looks at Jeroboam's track record, looks at his history and goes, I can beat that. And that, the, uh, Jeroboam, that's child's play. It's trivial. And here's what he did. He took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and he went and he served Baal and worshipped him, breaking the first and second commandments instead of leading Israel to be faithful to the covenant. This means that Elijah prophesied to the occult. Elijah prophesied among the worship of demons in his own land. Uh, the God 
that the false god that was being worshipped in Israel was a god, god named Baal. We, it's easier to say Baal. And Baal means something like Lord, like master, like owner, and here's the occult part, possessor. And the mythology around Baal is kind of amusing to me, but they believed it. Let me tell you what, what they thought of their god Baal. Allegedly, he was the god of fertility and god of the storm. So he brought rain on the earth so that the ground could be fertile and so that people could be fertile and have babies. And he was present in the dew and the rain. So when these pagan worshipers saw rain or saw dew on the grass, they said, that's Baal's doing. The absence of rain meant this. Once a year, Baal had to submit himself to the god in his pantheon who was above him, the god Mot, M-O-T. Mot was the god of death. And the mythology went something like this. Every year, Moat had to express his authority or, or exalt his authority over Baal, so he killed Baal every year to show him who's boss. And then the people needed rain and the, and the land needed rain, so Moat would bring Baal back from the dead, and he would bring another rainy season, and that's how the people knew Baal was alive again. They believed this stuff. Elijah's name means, my God is Yahweh. And his opening statement to Ahab tells us some things about Elijah's relationship to God. It's one verse and one verse only in our sermon today. Here it is. 1 Kings 17, 1. If you're ready, say yes. Yes. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand... There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. How about that? Without introduction, without warning, without any explanation, in your Bible, Elijah suddenly appears right here in 1 Kings 17.1. The background that I've given to you the Bible doesn't give it to you before this verse. He just appears out of the blue, just like that. J. Oswald Sanders wrote this about this verse. Elijah appeared at zero hour in Israel's history like a meteor. He flashed across the inky blackness of Israel's spiritual night. Oh, to write like that. But Sanders nailed it. This is exactly the way you should describe the culture in Israel at the time. Do you understand that that verse we just read means that a prophet walked into the palace and confronted the most wicked king a nation ever had with a staggering word? And here's the word. There would not be a drop of rain, not even dew on the grass unless I, Elijah himself commanded it. Can you believe that? It was as if he said, hey, King Ahab, let's get this straight right here and now. You think you have the most power and the most authority in all the land, but you don't. That belongs to the Lord God of hosts. And here's my proof, Ahab. Can you stop the rain? No. Because he can. 
Yahweh is able to lock up the rain clouds for as long as he chooses. And when he tells me, I'll tell you. That's what just happened in 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Can we agree that's an extraordinary thing to say to a king? Can we agree that's kind of bold? Takes courage. If we're really being honest, and if we weren't in church, can we go, man, that's kind of ridiculous. And it almost feels immodest. I mean, who's this guy think he is? What a shameless prediction. I will let you know, king, when it's going to rain again. You see, not since the days of Moses had there been anyone like Elijah. And, and I want you to put yourself in King Ahab's sandals right here. And I asked the first service, do you think they had Chacos in ancient Israel? Because I love Chacos. That's a pretty cool kind of sandal. Put yourself in King Ahab's shoes. You just heard a prophet say that his God would soon destroy everything by doing nothing except withholding the rain. I think that there's one word and one word only that was playing through Ahab's head as he heard that prophecy. Here's what he heard Elijah say. There shall not be dew nor rain these years. You know as well as I do that the people of Israel could withstand a drought for a few weeks. They could probably make it pretty easily a few months because the wells don't dry up immediately. And the runoff from the mountains that collect in the cisterns, the natural uh, stone cisterns around the, 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 the foothills of the mountains, they, they have to, it takes time for the sun to evaporate all that water. But my friends, no rain for years and everything either dies or everything leaves. We were in Kenya a year ago in the northwest part of Kenya in the desert. And we were talking to the local pastor there who had lived there all of his life. He was 55 years old. And they were in the middle of the worst drought, he said, in his entire life. There hadn't been any substantial rain for over three years in the Turkana Desert. You know what he said? He said, it's so bad, all the camels have left. When the camels who need less water than you start leaving, it's time to go. That's how dry it had been. No more water for years. Ahab, that means no more kingdom for you. You lose it all. I, I can just imagine him putting his head down on his pillow at night, looking over there at Jezebel going, why did I marry her? Turning his head over and going, curse this prophet for cursing us. Well, now I'll set the stage for you. I want us to look at one phrase in the verse and tell you two things about it. Here's that phrase. As the Lord God of Israel, what does it say? Lives. Two, two truths about this I want you to think about. The first thing is Elijah is saying, my God's alive and your God's dead. My God can do something yours cannot Elijah's God is alive. He's, he's active. It's a direct contrast to Baal, who was thought to only be alive during the rainy season. Elijah's God is not what the deists would call an absentee watchmaker. Elijah's God was not a God who made the world 
and then left it to run on its own. Instead, Elijah's God is on top of things. He's, he stays in constant contact with his people and his creation every day. Nothing escapes his notice. Everything that happens matters deeply to God because he lives. He's the living God of Israel. That's the first idea I want you to think about when you see that phrase. Here's the second one. When the prophet says, as, as the Lord God of Israel lives, he is speaking at oath level. He's speaking on behalf of his God at what Bible commentators call oath level. That means that Elijah speaks as God's final word on this subject. He speaks with extraordinary assurance that what he says is right. (laughs) The point Elijah made to Ahab was this. My words are as reliable as the very existence of God. Let me say it this way. Elijah may have just used these words. If God lives, then my word is true. If there is a God, it's not going to rain. And the reverse of that would also be true. If it rains, there is no God in Israel. As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives. Now, I want to tell you that there's a much neglected teaching in the Bible about the difference between God's promise and God's oath. Both of them are guaranteed because God cannot lie. But there's a difference between when God makes a promise and when God swears an oath. And you need to know the differences. A promise is often conditional. There's an if-then wording embedded or baked into the promise. Here's the idea. If the person obeys, the promise is fulfilled. And you know that on two very famous Bible verses. I tried to quote this in the first service and had failure to launch, so I'm just going to read it here. Second Chronicles 7.14, that famous verse about revival, often taken out of context, but hey, it's a great verse. Let's use it. Second Chronicles 7.14, the Lord God of Israel said, is that right? Second Chronicles 7. If you get out of chapter 6, it reads differently. There we go. 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, do you know this verse? Yes or no? Yes. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The first word in the verse is if. The next word in the verse is then. Then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you see how God made a promise but it's conditional? If the people do this, then I will do this. And he never breaks the promise if the people will do what he says. If and then is also inferred in the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal or everlasting life. Here's the if then. If you believe, you get eternal life. If you don't believe, you don't get eternal life. Do you see the conditionality of it? That's God's promise. No problem there, you get it. But an oath is completely different. An oath is very different. An oath from God is a sworn statement. 
It's carried out without any conditions. When God swears an oath, nothing can stop it from being fulfilled. I'll show you a famous one about, about Abraham on Mount Moriah with the blade in his hand, his 22-year-old son or they're about tied to an altar and him getting ready to plunge that blade into the heart of the son of promise. And when he raises that blade, God says, stop. And we read in Genesis 22, 16 and 17, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. God swears to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as numerable as the sands of the seashore and the stars of the heaven. They'll never run out. That's an oath God swore. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 comments on, that, on those verses I just read. For when God made a promise, an oath to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, as the Lord God of Israel lives. You see, when humans make an oath, we always swear by someone greater than us. You, you've seen this in your culture all the time. And we do it to convince others that we're absolutely telling the truth. It goes something like this. I swear on my mother's grave. I don't know how that's supposed to help, but it just seems to... Make it, make it more serious. Or on inauguration day every four years. Generally, the one that's been elected president will put, unless he's a communist, will put his hand on the Bible. And he'll take the oath of office on the Bible saying, I'm swearing by the God of the Bible. You see oaths all the time. It's part of your worldview. Elijah spoke at oath level in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This was a word that could not be changed. It couldn't be changed if everyone in Israel, including Ahab and Jezebel, repented and fasted and prayed and cried and said, oh God, we're sorry. We change our minds. We change our ways. We reverse out. If everyone did it, it didn't matter. The oath had been sworn. That means that... I that Elijah never worried that it was going to rain in those three years of time. He, he didn't bite his nails. He wasn't nervous. He didn't ask himself, what have I done? I really, I really backed myself into a corner this time because my brothers and my sisters, when God grants the oath, all doubting disappears. Here's Hebrews 6, 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them, don't miss it, an end of all dispute. There's no second guessing. There's no wavering between two opinions. Uh, there's no double-mindedness. Elijah didn't go back and forth. It was the end of all disputing for him. All doubt had gone. God had spoken to him. It's not going to rain until God gives the word to his prophet. See, as the Lord God of Israel lives means that the person behind this prophecy wasn't Elijah, it was God himself. It was an unchangeable and direct witness from heaven. 
Elijah was simply the vehicle that brought the word. And that's what every prophet is, just a mouthpiece for God. This man, Elijah, who stepped on the scene out of nowhere and spoke with the authority that seldom is seen on earth, we're going to learn about him for the next three Sundays. And you say, Pastor, all right, I'm convinced. This guy was awesome. God used him in big ways. He speaks at oath level. He believes that God's alive. God's going to use him in great ways. We believe all that. You've convinced me. But pastor, so what? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I apply this to my life? Well, let me land the plane with application. I'm going to apply it to your life by reading to you a New Testament verse about Elijah. James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The Bible says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I've called this series on God's prophet, Elijah, a man like us, because when your new King James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, your NIV says, Elijah was a man just like us. And it is going to be my job to convince you to finally believe those verses that we just read. Because right now you don't believe it. You believe that the Bible is just a collection of special people uh, that God used at a special time. And we should read it and we should admire them and we should think, boy, that must have been a great time. Hope I get to watch those videos in heaven. But we don't connect the dots and go, what you see in the Bible, God wants to do through you. Elijah was a man just like us. And the question would be, how was Elijah like us? Let me, let me answer that three ways. Number one, Elijah was made of the same substance as you are. Out of the dust of the ground that God formed Adam in and passed down through Adam, all the sinfulness and rebellion against God, and even though Adam was made in God's image and so was his progeny just like us, we are made like Elijah was made. He wasn't superhuman. He was a human with a super God. And you're like him. So one way that Elijah was like us is we're made of the same stuff. We're, he put his sandals on one, one sandal at a time too. The second way that Elijah is like us is, like him, we live in an evil day. It was really bad in Israel in 1 Kings 17 and 18. It's really bad in the culture that we live in today. And you know, you, do you know what we've decided is going to fix our culture? Politics. So it's, a, it's an election year. And, and, and we believe if we can get enough Republicans to vote, we can turn this whole thing around. And I don't believe that. I believe that your votes matter on more of the local level, and you ought to get out there and do your civic duty until you can't. But your prayers can do what your vote cannot. So here, here's, the, here's the commitment I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to make. And I would say maybe just me, because he spoke to just me about this. But he also wants me to counsel you with it, and you get to decide. I have decided that this election year, I'm not paying attention to politics. I don't want to be polluted by it. I'm going to go to the polls and vote. But the time that I spent the last election cycle reading and getting mad and, and despising people that, that have stupid worldviews and the whole thing, that was a waste of time, and it was a distraction from what really matters, and it didn't make a difference. If I had been spending time 
evangelizing and praying and, and just encouraging people rather than getting mad at American politics. I wasted too much time, and it's an evil day. And so now, because I haven't been looking, I haven't been staining myself with all the nonsense. My vote's not going to make a difference in the national election. It'll make more difference in local but my prayers and my ministry to you and with you, that'll make a difference here and that's where it matters. Does that make sense? And so I just want to counsel you. To live like Elijah, don't sit there with a megaphone and tell everybody how bad Baal is. Instead, show everybody how merciful and gracious Yahweh is. Does that make sense? So he was like us because he's made out of the same substance of us. He was like us because like him, we live in an evil day. And lastly, we're like Elijah because we know this very same God he knows. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is immutable, unchanging, and the power that he gave his prophets and his faithful believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they don't even have the same power you do because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had to come on people. He came and left. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will also be in you. You're indwelled by the power that came on Elijah. Does that make sense? Jesus said, you do greater things than he did. See, there are just some verses in the Bible we don't believe yet, but by God's grace, we're gonna start reading it. We're gonna start trusting. We're gonna start living by faith. We're gonna live it out and you're gonna see that Jesus' words are true. If God could use a man who is as human as Elijah, that means there's hope for all of us. A book somebody put in my hands about the third year of my Christian life that, that encouraged me and changed everything for me about how I think about intercessory prayer is a book by Norman Grubb called Reese Howells, The Intercessor. Reese Howells was a man that God used mightily in, his, in prayer to evangelize people. I want to give you a quote about Reese Howells. He says, I'm a perfectly natural man except when the Holy Ghost comes on me. And by God's grace, we'll be a perfectly normal church, except when the Spirit of God comes on us and uses us in a way that he did Elijah. Do you realize that Elijah was willing to stand before an evil, ungodly king because the fear of God had driven out the fear of man in Elijah's heart? He feared God's displeasure more than he feared Ahab's and Jezebel's. That means that he had the kind of spiritual courage that's given only to those who linger in the presence of the living God. Here's my bottom line for the sermon. Since Elijah was a man like us, we are called to become men and women like him. And I'm going to show you that in the next three weeks. Let's bow for prayer. Father, take the public reading of your word and the preaching therein, and God, stitch it in our hearts. Put it, tuck it away in there so the enemy can't steal the seed that was planted today for the glory of Jesus. And a faithful church said, amen. All right, as you're uh, finishing up today, I, I wanted to really encourage us to come forward and receive prayer in just a moment. What a great way to end the message this morning after hearing what we just heard about the power. I know for me, I want to be used more by God. That's always my prayer. I want to be used more by God. I want to have a, this power that I see in the scripture. So if you're a part of the prayer ministry team, go ahead and come forward and get in front of the stage to receive people for prayer. So if you're part of the prayer ministry team, go ahead and start making your way.
forward. Uh, as everyone else, we're waiting for them to get set up. Uh, go ahead and finish filling out this welcome card that you have here. Include a prayer request on the back. You can place these in the offering boxes on the way out, and we'd love to pray for you for that. And you might have a next step on there as well. You can see if you want to get to know people at Great Commission, it's a great first step there. Or, hey, if you said, I like that gospel. I want to know more about that gospel. If you, Mark, trust Jesus for the first time, we will have a gospel conversation with you, and we will be glad to do it. And hey, if you're newer at Great Commission Church, I want you to take just 60 seconds. Uh, Trevor and Angie would love to meet you. They'll be out there by the big map uh, out there. Love to get to know you, learn your name. Uh, so if you do that for us, that'd mean a lot to us. So if you're newer here, go meet them out in the lobby. Uh, everyone else, if you'd stand with us, I'm going to call you forward. To, you can start making your way forward to receive prayer, and let me pray for you as you're doing that. Father, we're grateful that you hear our prayers. We're grateful that uh, you have a power that we can tap into. God, we want to be used mightily for the kingdom of God, mightily in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. Come on forward, receive prayer. Uh, you're dismissed.